Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. One of our new members of the Speakers Bureau from Kentucky Humanities is Keen Babbage, a longtime uh, educator, a teacher, administrator, uh, a person around Central Kentucky that uh, a lot of people know. Uh, if they don't know Keen, they know the last name, uh, don't they, Keen? <laughs> yes, and we sir. appreciate uh, uh, Keen coming in for our Think Humanities podcast today because we've got several things to talk about, not only his subject matter on our Speakers Bureau, and by the way, uh, kyhumanities.org is the home base for Kentucky Humanities. Uh, click on Speakers Bureau. Uh, Keen will be listed there. Uh, our Speakers Bureau members, uh, quite a number of them, uh, over 50 at the, at the last count, in fact, uh, over 60, are available to talk about a variety of subjects. Uh, and this is uh, uh, with Keen's subject matter, uh, on the roster for the first time, going to be pretty exciting for us to uh, to send uh, under our Kentucky Humanities banner, uh, Keen, out to uh, churches and civic groups and uh, schools and all across the state of Kentucky. You want to hear him talk about a few of these things, and he has a couple of uh, of books uh, that we're going to talk about of new books. Uh, and let's just start there, Keen. I'm going to ask you about your background, but. With these uh, uh, two books uh, that are coming out this fall, uh, what what does that number total now? Are you are you up to Wendell Berry's thirty something? I know you're pretty close. I'm at twenty five, oh. so I still have a few more to go to well, catch up with such a distinguished author. Yes, uh, I think Wendell's up past thirty five now uh, with all of his writing, but that's that's an un- unfair comparison for anybody. <laughs> but twenty five is a pretty good number. But first of all, just tell us about yourself and your background and your um, your influence and also uh, how you've gotten yourself involved in, in what we're going to talk about today. Lexington, Kentucky is home, and I have always felt proud of the Kentucky heritage that I have. My grandparents lived in Kentucky in Harlan, Kentucky on my father's side, and Richmond, Kentucky on my mother's side. My mother and father met at UK in the years right after World War II, and we have a strong connection with UK. Uh, My brother and sister-in-law have graduate degrees there, and my doctorate's from UK. And I always intended to go into education. I remember having conversations with my grandfather when I was 12, 13 years old, and I was thinking about becoming a teacher. And he was extremely supportive in his career and in politics. And thereafter, he was always very supportive of education. Our family took education seriously. I can recall times when if I did not have homework to do from school, I would get homework assigned by my family. That meant a lot to me. And reading was always given a high priority in our family. My grandparents read a lot. My parents read a lot. And that's how my brother Bob and I grew up. We knew education was very, very important. This is my 35th year in education. I've worked at six different Kentucky schools, middle schools, and high schools, and I'm extremely optimistic about education. I've seen great people do great work. I've talked to colleagues through the years. Of course, we have concerns or situations we'd like to see 
improved, but overall, I've seen people put their heart and soul into the work that they do at school, and the results are, are continuously impressive. What gives you that optimism about uh, education uh, in Kentucky and in the nation today? I taught for 10 years at Henry Clay High School from 2006 to 2016, and I would arrive early and stay late. I was never the first person there, and I was never the last person to leave. Plus, on snow days, Mm -hmm. a lot of teachers would go into school to work. And I saw people at that school and at the other schools where I've worked putting that type of extra mile effort into the work they were doing, completely devoted to students, completely determined to find what worked best so they could emphasize what matters most. I'm optimistic because I see so many people in education who are doing work beyond what their contract requires, putting in the extra time, putting in the extra effort, and making sure that students are given the best possible experience. Through the years, I've had a lot of conversations with my colleagues. They think about education. They are eager to find out what works best. They're critical when when criticism is necessary, and they're complimentary when good work is being done. And another reason, Bill, why I'm so optimistic is I've worked with so many students through the years, and I've seen their achievements. There have been some who I wish would have worked harder and wish would have behaved better, but the overwhelming majority of students I've worked with have done high-quality work and took it seriously. That's very encouraging. The uh, body of work, your your 25 books uh, that we mentioned at the first of the podcast, Uh, A lot of them largely were based uh, thematically on education and some of the pedagogy that you developed yourself and that you uh, wrote about, and and now you're going to get to talk some about it uh, on our Speakers Bureau. Tell me a little bit about uh, not each individual one, but uh, as a body of work educationally, what what those uh, uh, books were written about. One of the themes throughout those books is a conclusion I reached early in my teaching career. We know what works. I've asked over 4,000 people the question, tell me about your best teacher and what he or she did that causes you to think they're the best teacher you ever had. And the answers are always within a range of they challenged me, they used a variety of teaching methods and techniques, they were enthusiastic about teaching, And they made connections between what we were learning and something already knew or was interested in. I had many terrific teachers. When I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, I paid close attention to what my teachers were doing. And some of those memories are extremely strong and guided some of what I did as a teacher. I would try to take the best of all those great teachers and put it together and add a personal touch to it. So a number of the books that I've written about education have been based on research I did, experiences I had, what I've seen work in the field of education. I've also had some time as a school administrator, so some of the books deal with school administration. Outside of education, I've worked for eight years for three large companies in marketing and advertising. And much of what I think about management and leadership comes from those fields. There's a massive body of knowledge about leadership and management written largely for the business professions. I've brought a lot of that with me into education. And there's a body of knowledge about school administration, but taking advantage of all of that and putting it together 
just continues to confirm to me that we know what works. There aren't any secrets or surprises about what great, great teachers do or what great school administrators do. Part of my optimism is we know what works in the classroom, we know what works in school management, and we know what great students do, what characteristics they have. Since we know that, we don't have to search for those answers. We have those answers. Tell me, uh, if you will, what are one, two, or three observations about uh, what makes a great teacher? Great teachers are using a variety of teaching methods and techniques. They know that they may have to change that throughout the school year based on this year's students or this year's second period class is different from this year's fifth period class. Great teachers are constantly learning about what they're doing and they are in touch with what's working in the classroom. They're the adult, they're in charge, but they are constantly learning about their profession. They're trading ideas with colleagues so that if they have a student in their class who's not doing very well, but they find out that student is doing well in another classroom, they learn why and they bring some of those ideas and methods into their own classroom. Great teachers are enthusiastic. Uh, in Fayette County, there's a program every year where high school seniors can nominate a teacher who will receive what's called a FAME award. And when you listen to those seniors talk about the best teacher they ever had, the most influential teacher, it's always talking about someone who challenged them, someone who was always there for them, someone who insisted that that student do their best. That adds to my certainty that we know what works mm -hmm. in education. Great teachers understand that students benefit from being challenged. And so they do challenge their students to, to guide them one step further than what perhaps they thought they could do. And great teachers make connections. The brain works that way. I recall some students who were struggling in a math class and the teacher said, what can I do? And I said, what if we use basketball statistics from UK games. Mm. You can teach a lot of math skills yeah. if you analyze those statistics. Yeah. Well, that got their attention, mm -hmm. and now math was something they were excited about and eager to do. Mm -hmm. Teachers take all of those skills we just mentioned and put them to good use and can get great results. Two uh, of your new books uh, are going to be available this fall. You're doing some uh, book signings around the area. You're going to be at the Kentucky uh, Book Festival in November. Uh, you'll talk about these, I'm sure, with your uh, Speakers Bureau uh, material that you're going to be taking out and about across the Commonwealth. Four vital questions for teachers and principals and four vital questions for high school seniors. So talk uh, a little bit about four vital questions for teachers and principals. In some ways, Bill, I think that these two books are the culmination of the other 23 books I've mm -hmm. written, that these were always the books that at some point were going to be written. It was almost destiny mm -hmm. that I was headed in that direction. There's something different about these two books than any other I've written, and that is the reader becomes the co-author. If you look at four vital questions for teachers and principals, there are in that book four vital questions and some sub-questions, and each reader's copy of the book is going to be unique because the reader reads, the reader thinks, and the reader writes. The reader answers those questions and the other related questions in that book. And then I hope they will read it again in another year later and see if some of their thoughts might have changed. So the reader truly becomes the co-author. 
which means these books are infinite. Every other book I've written had a beginning and an end. That's the way they were designed. That's the way they needed to be. Four Vital Questions for Teachers and Principals does not have an ending to it. As long as the reader is reading it, thinking about it, writing their responses to the questions, then that book is continually and perpetually giving them something to think about. The book is a catalyst for thinking. And it asks teachers and principals and all other educators, couldn't include every job title in the title of the book, sure. but everyone who's involved in a school, this book is designed for. And it really is what I hope the reader will see is a gift I'm giving them, but more than that, a gift they give themselves. Hmm. Because this book gives people a chance to think about their career, their profession, what they do day to day, what they do year to year. Are they learning and growing? Are they doing what matters most and what works best? What is the most important goal for their school? And how do they deal with the difficulties that being involved in education will bring? So you're doing the same thing for high school students, <laughs> uh, high school seniors, which uh, uh, maybe they should have been thinking about some of these questions when they were freshmen, but I'll let you explain that part of it. Four vital questions for high school seniors. This is a book truly for the students. It is a guided tour, and the four vital questions for the high school seniors are, where have I been? Where am I now? Where am I going? How will I get there? Part of the inspiration for me to write this book was when I was teaching high school at Henry Clay High School in Lexington, I taught juniors U.S. history classes. And then the next year, a number of them in August, September, October would come and say, Dr. Babbage, could you write a letter of recommendation for me? They may be going to a four-year college, you may be going to a trade school, vocational school, or occasionally someone would say, I'm applying for a part-time job, could you be a referral for me? That led to a lot of conversations. Some of them were quite prepared. Here's my resume. Here's a summary of what I've done. They had been in my class. I knew what they had done in my class, but I didn't know everything they'd done in high school or outside of high school in the community. And that led me to think perhaps it would benefit those students if they had a guide that could help them think, where have I been? Where am I now? Where am I going? How will I get there? So this book, again, is a gift that I'm providing for the reader, but it's more than that. It's a gift the reader gives himself or herself. And so the high school senior, although juniors and sophomores and freshmen are also invited, but high school seniors have this on their mind. What am I going to do next after high school? Well, let's think about that. Let's think about what you've done so far. Let's think about what you're doing now. And then what had you thought about are you going into the armed forces? Are you going to the workforce? Are you going into a community college? Are you going to a college? Do you have other plans? Is there a vocational school, trade school you'd like to go to? You got to start thinking about that and start making those plans and filling out those applications and meeting those deadlines. And this book gives the student an assignment when they think about the fourth of the vital questions. How will I get there? Mm -hmm. They are assigned. Go talk to somebody who right now is about a year older than you and they're doing what you see yourself doing. Get advice from them, what they've learned, what they might have done differently. Then go talk to someone who's recently finished what you're going to do next. Get their advice. Then go talk to somebody who's twice your age mm. 
and then go talk to somebody who's three times your age and get their perspectives and their guidance. Mm -hmm. And what I say to high school seniors is, there are two things you should take with you when you graduate from high school. Take your high school diploma with you and take your thoroughly read and thoroughly written in copy of four vital questions for high school seniors. Pretty sage advice. <laughs> and uh, Keen, you're going to uh, share this with uh, a, a very special group of, uh, of young people who are going to be attending our masterclass presentation at the Kentucky Book Festival this year on Friday, uh, November the 15th. Uh, there will be uh, two different presentations um, divided up by uh, an all-necessary uh, lunch break um, of something delicious like pizza, I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Cullick from Northern Kentucky University, will, uh, who's written a book for Kentucky Humanities and the University Press of Kentucky uh, on, uh, he's a rubber pen Warren scholar, and a lot of people know that we've been going through the uh, year uh, reading All the King's Men and uh, Robert Penn Warren's work, and Jonathan is going to address uh, some of the writing and the rhetoric uh, that uh, Robert Penn Warren writes about in a, in a really interesting way. He's a college professor at NKU. He'll be talking to high school students, and then following that, uh, you will uh, address uh, the high schoolers, and, and uh, uh, I say high schoolers, the seniors and juniors, and, and probably some underclassmen too, who will be attending our master class uh, at the uh, Kentucky Book Festival, uh, All Tech Arena at the Kentucky Horse Park, they're going to be. And, and by the way, uh, announcing this for the first time uh, to you, Keen, we, we've gotten hundreds, uh, literally hundreds of uh, of applications, of early applications for that. So you're you're going to have a big audience uh, on that Friday. Uh, so I, I would imagine you're you're looking forward to that. Uh, some uh, it, it probably goes without even thinking about, but but some. Young people, some seniors, uh, get to that fourth uh, year of high school, and they haven't even given one second of thought to these questions that you're raising. Is that correct? It is correct. There's, there's a wide range. Some of those students who would come to me and say, Dr. Babbage, could you write a letter of recommendation for me? I would always say yes. And occasionally the student would just turn around. No, you can't leave. We've got a lot to talk about. I need to know what you want me to write the letter of recommendation for. I need to know a lot more about you. Do you have a specific plan in mind or are you just generally thinking, well, I guess it's time to apply for something? And then others would come to the classroom and they truly had thought it out thoroughly. They had a clear path and a clear plan for how to make that happen. But then that senior year does emerge and guidance counselors at high schools will start talking to the seniors often early in, in the school year. And some families, maybe in the summer before the senior year, had a chance to uh, go along with the high school senior-to-be and visit some schools or some other programs they might be involved in. If they're into the armed forces, they might have talked to a recruiter. If there are colleges nearby in their community or close, they may have visited those. But you're exactly right. High school seniors have a lot on their mind. It's the senior year. There are a lot of unique events during the senior year. And part of the senior year transition has to start early in the senior year, if not even before. I talked to one colleague at Henry Clay High School who said, my daughter's a ninth grader. She thinks about this all the time. Well, good for her. And the book, Four Vital Questions for High School Seniors, truly was written with an inspiration of students toward me 
having had those conversations with a lot of high school seniors about what their plans were or the vagueness of what they may be doing. Some were certain, some were uncertain. I always would write a letter of recommendation that was unique for each student. There wasn't a, a form I used and I just filled in the blanks. Each student's unique, each letter of recommendation would be unique. And the more evidence they could give me, the better it was. I wanted to say to that college university or employer or anyone else they were in pursuit of an opportunity with, select this person mm -hmm. and here's why. Mm -hmm. The book, Four Vital Questions for High School Seniors, I hope is one that high school seniors will read early in their senior year. There's also a suggestion that the high school senior could read the book and another family member, parent or another relative could read the book and fill it out about that high school senior from their perspective. And then the family could compare their notes and say, well, I thought you'd be great at this. And the high school senior said, I hadn't considered that. Mm. Or maybe they're already in agreement mm. on what the high school senior could do. But you're exactly right. Educators are told, let's be sure that every high school senior when they graduate is college ready or career ready. And this book is a resource that can help the college or the high school senior rather make that journey from where they are now to where they're going and how to get there. Keen, uh, on our Speakers Bureau, um, you are addressing uh, education in your 34 years of working in six Kentucky schools, and a lot of these uh, same themes will appear in that talk. But your other one is Life Lessons for My Grandparents, Kentucky Governor Keen Johnson and Kentucky First Lady Eunice Johnson, uh, your grandparents. And you mentioned uh, uh, without... Uh, giving due credit to who they uh, are or who he and she were. Uh, tell us about uh, your grandparents and what you hope to share about your family uh, in uh, the talk that you do uh, with that title. I absolutely cherished the time I spent with my grandparents. We visited them often, sometimes for part of a day, sometimes for an overnight visit. And I remember so many specific moments whenever my mother and my brother and I would arrive at my grandparents' home. One of them would be at the door to welcome us. We could have gotten in the door probably. It may have been open. They were there to welcome us. Whenever we were there with them, their hospitality was unsurpassed. They would serve a meal that would impress any chef. <laughs> It was home cooking at its best. And I can remember some of those right now. I wish I could find a place today that could equal that type of home cooking. Well, you're gonna, you've teased us enough or attempted <laughs> it enough. What, what, uh, was that your grandmother that did the cooking? Uh, she would plan the, the meals. Uh, there was a lady who they had met at Eastern Kentucky University, and she worked there in one of the dining facilities and was an expert in desserts. And they recruited her to come do some cooking for oh. them. And they're the mashed potatoes, genuine, authentic, real <laughs> potatoes that had been mashed. <laughs> and there's the cornbread that had been baked right there in the kitchen. And there are the green beans that had been snapped right there in the kitchen. And there's the fried chicken. And there's the blackberry cobbler yeah. that I can see and just <laughs> envision right now as if it's in front of me magnificent meals. 
My grandparents read a lot. My grandfather was involved in journalism before he got involved in politics. Yeah, what is his background, uh, his early background? I, I'm not really uh, aware of He what was he involved did. with the newspaper in Elizabethtown hmm. and was a co-owner of that, then in Lawrenceburg and then in Richmond, Kentucky, and studied journalism at UK. Because newspapers in the 1920s and earlier were closely aligned with one political party or the other, he was in that category of journalist. His, his father, my great-grandfather, was a Methodist circuit-riding preacher. And I read one of the speeches my grandfather gave when he was governor and he was speaking at Asbury to all the pastors who were there for a conference. And he refers to his father as being a devout Methodist and a strong supporter of the Democrat Party. Mm -hmm. So he was also mm -hmm. a member of the Methodist Church all his life and a member of the Democrat Party all mm -hmm. his life. Some of his writing in the newspapers in Elizabethtown, in Lawrenceburg, and then in Richmond, Kentucky, got the attention of the Kentucky Democrat Party. And he spent a few years working for them. Mm -hmm. That led to running for lieutenant governor in 1935, and he won when Happy Chandler got elected governor for the first time. And then Keene Johnson got elected governor in 1939. I've talked to many people about those years. One of his most serious commitments was to be a saving, thrifty, frugal governor. When Governor Chandler governor, and Lieutenant Governor Johnson took office, the day, state was in debt. When the eight years of their tenure as governor ended, the state had a surplus. And I've talked to people who said, your grandfather knew where every penny mm. in state government <laughs> was. So one of the lessons I've learned from them is to be very conscientious about managing money. We also learned from them about the importance of keeping aware of current events. My grandfather would read two or three newspapers every day, and we would be excited when he would explain something from the newspapers to us. And then occasionally some friends of my grandparents would, would visit. My brother and I would be there, and a friend would visit. And we knew, okay, it's time for us to leave the living room because they're going to have a conversation and they talk about politics, an upcoming election or some other political topic. And my brother and I would be around the corner mm. on the stairway listening mm. to these mm -hmm. conversations. Mm. Well, Bob, of course, has had a wonderful career in government. Bob, your brother. Yes, sir. My mm -hmm. brother, Bob Havage. And I've taught courses related to government, so it probably started right there mm. in their home mm -hmm. as we listened to those conversations about politics. My grandparents were incredibly polite people always mannerly toward each other and toward anyone else. And that's a lesson that I hope people will never let go of. That in our society where we're concerned about some aspects that have just gotten painfully crude, let's remind ourselves that there was a generation that never would have considered that as acceptable. So I learned a lot about manners from my, my grandparents. And I know that they also were devoted to each other. I learned a lot about family commitments from them and seeing how much they, they were devoted to each other and understanding that they gave that such a high priority. Well, it must have been, uh, you, you were how old when uh, you didn't have them any longer? I was a sophomore in high school when oh, my so you, you grandfather were, died. You were around them for some yes. number of years. I was in my 20s when my grandmother died. Mm -hmm. Uh, my mother and my grandparents were devoted to each other, and my mother, Judy Babbage, made sure we spent lots of time 
going to Richmond, easy drive, short distance from Lexington, to visit them. So you're exactly right. I got to know them well, and my memories of them are vivid. It's as if we were together quite recently. Mm-hmm. Well, in my memories, we certainly were and are. Isn't that a nice thing that so many people don't have family? Uh, so many people grow up today and don't have those roots or even a recollection of people that they can lean on or rely on in, in their darkest times. Um, and uh, you have that uh, that uh, rich uh, memory of uh, who they were and what they taught you. It, it must be a, a wonderful feeling. I remember a conversation my brother and I had with our grandfather, and he gave us the advice, we have to pull for each other. And I've always been intrigued with this choice of words. What's it mean when you pull for somebody else? Well, you encourage them, you support them, you reach out to them. What an outstanding bit of advice he shared with us. And to this day, I can remember the moment when he spoke those words. Mm. Well, that's that's quite wonderful. And you're available to talk about uh, your grandparents uh, for our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau, uh, as well as your lessons learned from uh, education in 34 years of working in six Kentucky schools. And uh, I'm sure you'll find plenty of people who want to talk about your books, your two new books that uh, are going to be available uh, this fall. Uh, Once again, those are uh, questions, uh, four vital questions for teachers and principals and four vital questions for high school seniors. Keen, thanks so much for being on our Think Humanities podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.